I want to go on with talking about the mind. Uh, you remember the theme we've had all through has been Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Let's look at it. Matthew 22, verse 37. And um, if we all read it out, you should know it by now. Come on. One, two, three, go. Read it again. And you'll notice that the thing is all your mind. And we looked on Friday evening at the importance of the mind and why we should develop our minds and the necessity of a life of study. And last night I went through uh, culture's thinking habits and we identified the enemies of the life of the mind and how to defeat them. And this morning I want to go on and look at just how you develop your mind so it thinks right and lives right. And it's so important, the mind is an important part of life. I emphasized on Friday that um, a lot of people, when they fall in love, it's emotion, it's not mind, and reason goes out the window. And if reason goes out of the window, you're in trouble. Because God says that true love takes the mind and you need to get to know a person you can't love someone you don't know you might be physically attracted emotionally attracted to someone but it's really the unity of mind and heart and if that doesn't happen a marriage won't last and a lot of marriages that have terrible frictions and terrible problems are because the minds are never really the things they love with God intends our love to be tripartite. Three things. And you've got to love God with your mind. And so we've talked about it, and now I want to go on and explain how you develop it. It's so important to understand. Um, and so if you turn with me, first of all, to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. The prophet, when he was speaking of the new covenant, that was when Christ would come. You know, one of the things you remember about the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, uh, and God delivered them from the bondage of slavery, their problem was basically in their minds. They remembered the cucumbers. I mean, how anyone would remember cucumbers, God alone knows. Uh, there's nothing worse than cucumber sandwiches, but there you are. In my opinion, I'm not a f great lover of cucumber, but um, the children of Israel remembered it. When they were in the wilderness, they remembered the things in Egypt. Their minds went back to the wrong things. They remembered. They forgot 
the terrible oppression. They forgot the terrible bondage they were under and they just remembered the gratification of their desires, their natural desires, the food and everything. And, and I can't understand that, but that's the way people's minds go. They go back. And Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, God says this, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put a new spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And in the uh, new translation it says this, and I will give you a new heart, with a new and right desires, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony heart of sin, and give you a new obedient heart, and I will put my spirit in you, so you will obey my laws, and do whatever I command. You know, God's saying, uh, and I do want to make this plain, that by discipline, by legalism, you can't come into life. And you can't educate yourself into Christianity. I'm talking about people who are born again and filled with the Spirit who have to love God with their whole mind. You can't love God with your mind if you're not born again. You love sin. You love darkness. And Jesus made that quite plain. If you're a child of the devil, you'll love darkness. You won't love light. You won't love what's right. You'll love what's wrong. You'll love what is evil if you're a child of darkness. But if you're born again and you've got a new heart and a new spirit and God has changed you sovereignly by a work of his spirit from above, those are the people I'm talking to. I do want you to understand everything I've said is governed by one thing. You must be born again. If you're not born again, forget it. You've no part or lot in any of this. You're just a heathen and you're a sinner and you're going to sin and you're going to love the fruit of sin and the life of sin because that's what you are and you must be born again but this is a Christian conference talking to Christian people and I'm telling you what a Christian should do sinners don't do that, they, they just love sin a liar loves lying a cheat loves cheating a thief loves stealing why? They're sinners. Sinners sin. That's why they're called sinners. And, and I'm not talking about that. I, I want you to understand that the first thing God does is promise new birth. Uh, and a lot of people, because things go wrong, if you haven't developed your mind and you haven't gone on with God in your mind, even though you're born again, Paul wrote to the Galatian church, he says, I travail in birth till Christ be formed in you. Doesn't mean they hadn't had a new birth. It meant that they just hadn't lived in it. Because of bad teaching. Your mind, the devil finds things for idle hands to do. And if your mind is not set on Christ, you're going to get in trouble. Therefore, when you're born again, and we're, we're looking at born again believers developing their minds. All right, is that plain? Hello.
I'm talking to Christians. I'm not talking to heathen. If you're a heathen, it's time to repent and get saved. Get born from above. Uh, but I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Christians. A lot, a lot of people who have a real experience of God go off and make shipwreck. Basically, there can be 101 reasons. I don't want to give you any of them in case you find it is an excuse for you. Uh, but there are reasons people make a mess of their lives. One of the things is they think that they don't need teaching. They go to a place where there is no biblical teaching. If you go to a place where you're not taught, you're likely to end up in shipwreck. If you want to learn something, you find someone who's very knowledgeable on the subject and you learn from them. You don't go to someone who's as ignorant as you are. You won't learn much. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says this. Now this is for born again people. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our, your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your affections on things above. You want to, basically, the things of this earth shouldn't be captivating your heart and mind all the time. Your heart and mind should be captivated by the things of God. And in a modern translation it says, Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. It says, Do not think only about things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It, it, it's true. You know, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and your thinking and your affections, and you set your affections by your thoughts. As you think. And a lot of people... They set their affections on earthly things all the time and they never get to the heavenly things. If you're loving God with all your mind, where is God? He's in heaven. In other words, you're setting your heart and your mind on the things of God, not on the things of earth. You're not consumed with what's here, you're consumed with what's there. Your affections are set in the right place. And if they're not... It's not long before your life becomes a mess. Because the things down here will trap you. When you have come to new birth, God intervenes sovereignly. Uh, and do understand that, um, please, uh, that I'm a Calvinist. And I'm proud to be a Calvinist. Because Arminius was a Calvinist. He believed in the sovereignty of God. It was only people that perverted what he taught later on that 
made out this free will nonsense and it was propagated by a man called Charles Finney who did not believe in original sin and de denied the very basis of the gospel and brought it about that a lot of people kind of bring this division between Calvinism and Arminianism as though God isn't a sovereign God. He's always been sovereign. Arminius thought it uh, and he'd have been a heretic had he not. Augustine thought it um, but right from the first century you had Pelagius who went about and try to convince people that you you know you could determine your own eternal destiny well that's nonsense if God doesn't intervene in your life and save you by his grace you say through faith and that not of yourself it's a gift of God if that doesn't happen you're going to hell and I want to tell you there's not one person here who was responsible for their own salvation or if there is, please put your hand up. I'd like to know who you are. If you saved yourself, it's very interesting. By your decision. Of course you didn't. Jesus Christ bled and died on Calvary 2,000 years ago before you were even born. And while you were yet enemies, God loved you. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? New birth gives us a new insight into Jesus Christ. Totally new. God transforms our ideas and our beliefs concerning his son. Do you know when you got born again, it was impossible not to believe in Christ. When you were born again, your insides got changed, didn't they? It wasn't something you did, it was something God did in you. Is that right? How many people can say, yeah, that happened to me? Oh, not many. Put your hand up, wave, so I know. One or two Christians here. Just want to know. Otherwise, I'd better change the message. It's amazing, you know, new birth is a glorious thing. But with conversion comes an intellectual revolution. Do you notice how when you got born, you began to think different? But you need Bible teaching. You know, the sword of the spirits, the word of God, and it divides asunder between soul and spirit. And when the word of God comes, it cuts. And the way your mind is transformed by the Holy Ghost is by the word of God. And all that I've been speaking about, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about education. I'm talking about education in God. You know, develop your mind in God. The most creative societies are Christian societies. Why? Because God the creator begins to live within the Christian. The most forward societies in the world are always Christian. Because their minds are in awe of the wonder of creation. They see God in everything and God's hand in everything. And there's something so creative. If you want to know where, where a lot of the medical instruments came from, they came from the um, Huguenots. Why? Forset births. Where did it come from? Years ago, hundreds of years ago, it was the, uh, the Huguenots came. If you want to know where all the skill in the industry of dyeing cloth and cotton trade came from 
Why, it came from the Huguenots who were driven out by Louis XIV of France. Our industrial revolution came from the Christians. Didn't come from heathens. Everything inventive. God put within man the ability. And when it's awakened and you're awakened to God, if you look at education, education came from the church and the Christians. If you look at Reformation, Oliver Cromwell, a Puritan, he was the one that bought schools across the nation. He bought a navy that became all-powerful. There, there were a lot of people, they were Christians. And you have to understand that Christianity birthed the wealth of the world really did. There was that creative uh, instinct and search and scholarship. It woke up their minds. Now the mind of a sinner is to live for himself. And the mind of a Christian was to glorify God. And he looked at creation in a different way and perspective. And that's what makes the difference between heathen nations and Christian nations. Christians have a different way of living. And that's, that, do, you, do you notice the people of God, the Jews? That, that's one thing that really got to people. There was something about the Jews. No, no matter where they went, when they were in Egypt, you know, with Joseph... Uh, it was a Jew who basically could save them from the famine. If you look, Solomon, King Solomon, became the richest man in all the earth. God gave him wisdom. Time after time, the Jewish nation prospered. Once they turned to serve the living God, they prospered more than any. If you look right throughout your Bible at the history of the Jewish nation, Boy, they pro look at Job. You know, a lot of people concentrate on Job's trials he went through, which was only for a short time. What they forget is Job lived a very good life. The devil came along and said, look, you know, when God said, have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him. The devil said, oh, yeah, but let me try him. Now, he did try him, and there was a time of trial but afterwards, don't forget that Job prospered twice as much as he'd had before. So many people look at Job and they look at the trial and forget the end result. Read your Bible correctly, you know. Don't read it in part. And the most important thing to understand, God's people always prosper. But... You only remain prosperous when you remember the Lord your God and give Him the glory and the honor. When you use what God blesses you with for His glory, not for your own fulfillment. And that's where the danger came. The Jews soon forgot. But when you're born again, your life is lived for Jesus. 100%. Number two, let's go to 2 Timothy, um, chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. We're dealing with your mind. How to love God with all your mind. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. 
all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now let's read it again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. You, you know, there's four things that it's for. And you need to make a note of it. Four square. For doctrine, that means for teaching. For reproof, for correction, and for instruction. Now, for reproof and correction and instruction, you correct people that are going wrong and you instruct them how to go right. You need teaching about who God is. That's the doctrine. And you reprove by Scripture showing people that what they're doing violates biblical principles. And all Scripture is profitable for that. And it's important to understand that if you're going to love God with your mind, your time of study needs to be in the book. And those that write about the book. It's no good if you're a Christian and you study your career alone and you ignore the one that's most important. You should be setting up your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Now, of course, I believe in you going as far as you can and as high as you can and excelling in everything. But if you don't excel first in God's kingdom, you're in danger. You need to study. Is that plain? No. Is that plain? So don't latch on to what I've said and say, oh, well, I better go back and do a doctorate in, in something or other. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about developing your mind to love God. In a modern translation, it says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. That's what it is. That's what, that's what it's saying, basically. The Christian mind can only develop by grasping more and more the contents of the revelation of Scripture. If you don't read the Bible and you don't really study it and understand it, then you're never going to love God with your mind. You might have an experience, you might have emotion, but your love of God with your mind, impossible. Your mind's not developed to love him. Your reason's not involved. It's our obligation to expose ourselves to that revelation, to soak ourselves in it. One of the things I find is a lot of people, they just don't read their Bible. They come to church with their Bible, they go home with their Bible, and they put it on a shelf or in a drawer, and that's the last time they touch it until they come to church again. That's hardly studying. You're not going to develop your mind at all. You've got to steep your minds in the great doctrines. 
one of the reasons I mentioned that hymn this morning uh, and, and the truth. You see, the old Puritans, they spent their lives in the doctrines of Christ. They talked about them in their home. They discussed them. A Jewish family would sit down and they would talk about the Word of God. They would discuss it. I find today Christians just don't think about it except at church. There are the tremendous doctrines. Do you know healing and deliverance and life come from really understanding what God says? You've got to know what God says. That's what God wants for you. He wants a good understanding. Do you know belief comes when you're convinced by your reason that what God says is efficacious for you. It'll work for you. It'll be real for you. You know, if something goes wrong, oh God, what's happened? That's superstition. Don't ever think like that. Time and chance happeneth to every man, but we have a God who always gives us the victory. Amen? We, we, we live with a realization that we're not exempt from the trials of life, but we're more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. If you go on, we need to live in conformity with Christ and not with the world. Romans chapter 12. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. It's how you live. In Romans 12, verse 2, Romans 12, verse 2 says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in uh, the modern translation, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. I, I, I like that. You know, it, it's your thinking. You can think the world's way, or you can think God's way. The world's way says, you know, well, the church, all they want is your money. How many have heard that? Yeah, you know, well, they're after your money. It's amazing. I go to a golf club, and I, I'm a member of a golf club down the road because it's a more economical way of playing golf be a member and, and so I'm a member of that's if you play enough if you don't it isn't but I'm a member of a golf club no one has ever said to me that all the golf club wants is your money but the truth is that's all they want <laughs> they'd rather I was a member and didn't turn up to play They want my money. Now the way the world thinks is they want to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. 
Hey, if you go to a cinema, do they let you in for nothing? If you go to a restaurant, do they serve you a good meal and say, well, thanks for coming, we appreciate it, it's on the house. How many times have you found that happen? If you go down and put your car in for a service, you got a bill at the end of it, didn't you? And if you wanted your car back, you better pay the bill first. They didn't say, oh, well, you know, so delighted. And yet, they want to disenfranchise Christians and say, hey, whatever you do, though you commit your life to be part of something that will transform the world, don't you dare give them anything. Keep them impoverished so they can't be effective. That's what they really say. That's the devil's ploy. He knows that when Christians obey God, they get blessed, they get rewarded, and he knows that when they live for God and they set their affections on things above, they'll invest not only their life but their substance in God's kingdom, and he knows they become more effective. So the world knows how to treat Christians and it knows how to sow seeds of corruptness to stop people doing what God tells them to do. That's his ploy. I, I think it's one of the things you've got to watch. If you're going to love God with all your mind, you need your mind. Whatsoever things are pure, just, and a good report, think on those things. If you're going to have your mind in control, get the Word of God into your heart. The Christian mind needs to be brought into conformity with Christ. We need to be salt in the earth. We need to get the rottenness of society out of it. One of the things we found when we had our play school to begin with was you could tell which kids had watched violent cartoons. I'll tell you why. Because when they came to play school, they begin to act out what they'd seen on the television. They're trying to kung fu kick one of the kids alongside them. Where did they learn it? They learned it off the... Don't you ever let your children feed on that. When they're two and three years old, learning violence is not a good thing. We're to be beacons of light and there should be you know, wholesomeness in our lives. Matthew 6, verse 33. Says this, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In Matthew 6, 33, or in the modern translation, it says, He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Take no thought for the morrow. I find people are always worried about the future. 
don't take thought for it. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. All right? Is that plain? Now, the unbelieving mind is, mind is divided. It's not integrated, focused mind. Their whole thoughts are kind of divided between the things that matter and those things that don't matter at all. They're concerned with what they're going to eat, drink, what they're going to wear, and what their future holds. Well, a Christian isn't. A Christian lives for the moment. He realizes, my life is now. I can't change tomorrow, and I can't change yesterday. Yesterday hasn't, it's gone, and there's nothing I can do about it. Tomorrow hasn't come yet, so I can't deal with anything. And I find so many people never live in the present reality. They're always thinking of tomorrow or dwelling on the past. A Christian lives in the present. I am that I am. My God is an I am God. Not an I was God, not an I will be, but an I am. So God is here for now. Don't live for the future and don't live for the past. Live for the present because you're alive now. You can change what you are now. You can be different now, and you can have a glorious future. You can have an expectation of eternity, but what you do is concentrate on the now. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Don't always be worried, oh, you know, who knows what will happen. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, that's the first thing I do. The kingdom of God. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your marriage. It's more important than your home. It's more important than anything. First, kingdom of God. That's the thing that matters most. I want to be in God's kingdom. I want to be obedient to the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to do the will of the Father. That's the most important thing in life. Don't ever let other things distract you from that. First things first. God must always come first in your life. And if you've got an undistracted mind and you're set that way, the fruit of it is going to be love, joy, peace, and contentment. You won't always be striving. You won't be struggling. You won't be disaffected. You won't be uh, looking for something else. You'll be happy because there's peace inside. You're not desiring things and driven by things. You're driven by God. And it'll show. Turn with me to Proverbs 18, verse 15. Proverbs 18, verse 15. You know, one of the things that I think is a mark of a Christian uh, and don't get this wrong is that they're interested in God's creation the whole of God's creation there is a fascination with the beauty of God's creation and you'll find it in in um, Proverbs it says this in um, chapter 18 verse 15 the heart of the prudent getteth knowledge and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge or in a modern translation, it says this, intelligent people are always open to new ideas. In fact, they look for them. Uh, and an intelligent person is always looking. If 
for something new, new idea, to develop his mind, to develop his understanding of God. And you'll find over in Romans, and Romans chapter 1, says this in verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Do you know, one of the things, that, and then they're, they're foolish, what does it say? Um, but became vain in their imaginations, their thinkings, and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you know, one of the things I find, anyone who's a true Christian loves creation. Anyone who's a true Christian loves the things around him. Because all of the glory of God and the power of God can be seen in creation. It really can. I don't worship creation. I don't worship nature. No. I worship the power that created that which I see. I, I, I love to walk around and, and look at creation. There's something so glorious. There's some, have you ever stood? I remember my wife and I, we stood in Hawaii and watched a sunset. And the skies were golden. And, and, you know, coming across the water, I mean, only a god could create the colors and the beauty. Or you go out and you look at, at a clear sky and the stars of heaven, all differing in glory. Or you go, uh, and just the fascination, you see a tree that's been 350 years growing. I, I mean, it's just there. Or you look at the flowers, so intricate. The delicacy of each color. And you begin to marvel that a God can create such things. Or as I mentioned on Friday, you know, there's, there's a fascinating program about the deeps, the very depths of the ocean. And you look at the color, luminous colors of the fish down there. And why did God paint them thus? Create them thus? It, it, God took care of everything. And the power of God is shown. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm worshiping the creature. No, no. I worship a creator who can be like that. What a God we have. What a God we serve. Or when I went to Africa and you look at the wildlife. I mean, how did God think? I mean, what is more ridiculous than an ostrich? I mean, it is a ridiculous animal. I tell you, it would have a nervous breakdown if it ever looked in a mirror. <laughs> it is so ridiculous. I mean, how can God, for his creator of heaven and earth, and then you look at the other animals, you just look at creation. God's creation is a wonderful thing. And I, I, I find anyone who's a true Christian, there is just a love of nature with it born within him because he appreciates it. And it says here, see, the power of God is revealed in creation. You're without excuse. Anyone who doesn't acknowledge God, well, they're just fools. God's in control of everything. 
And there's something about it that makes the heart and mind of man want to know. <laughs> Just, you know, I think Adam was fortunate in that God got him to tend the garden. Can you imagine Adam walked and God said, name the animals. And he looked at all the animals one by one and named them. Boy, he had a mind, didn't he? Hmm? I mean, there are no comical names. But can you imagine Adam? The animals were brought before him. God was displaying his power and glory. And then he was given to tend the garden. Can you imagine? He went in a garden that was perfect. No thorns and thistles and briars there. Beautiful. And, and, and you can imagine the beauty of it all. The fascination. Have you ever seen orchids, you know, where, where they're, they're so precious, so beautiful, so intricate? And then God put a different perfume in each flower, not only the beauty of them, but the smell of them. What a creator. The God who thought it all. To give fulfillment and to let you understand how caring he is. There's nothing he wasn't careful for. And then you look at the birds and the glorious colors of the birds. And, and you look at them and you think, God. They're so beautiful. And the fish in the sea. Wherever God's hand is, such a mystery, such a beauty. And the Bible says it. And, and you know, the Christian heart is a heart that appreciates God's creation because it appreciates God. You love the things that God has made. Don't despise them and just abuse them. You love them. That's why Christians preserve things. Christians look after things. Go to heathen lands, they, they preserve nothing. They respect nothing. They appreciate little. Totally different way of living. You can tell when it's Christian. If you look through the scriptures, you'll find the writers in every one of them uh, of the Old Testament, they always talk about creation. Paul talks about creation in Romans 1 when he speaks to the Romans. Moses, Isaiah, authors of Job, Ecclesiastes, Psalms. They're interested in music, in mining, interested in science, interested in technology, interested in commerce, interest. You know, they were broad-minded people. There was a fascination with everything. And it's dangerous when you become narrowed down. Your heart should be full of everything. You know, there was a theologian, Warfield, and he lived from 1851 to 1921. And um, when they started compiling what he'd been interested in, they said it was difficult knowing what to leave out 
um, from the 2,000 items they list. They tell their readers he penned brief accounts of books on literature, poetry, world religions, history, sociology, architecture, education, travel, not to speak of items like the ocean steamships of the Atlantic, the care of the baby, the growth of the brain, practical points in nursing, and a variety of novels. This was one Christian man, just fascinated. Uh, and there were over 2,000 books and articles, and they didn't know what to put in and leave out. He was a Christian minister. I'm afraid a lot of Christian ministers, they get locked into their little world, and that's it. God wants us to be bigger than that. All of the great men of God were always fascinated with creation. One of the people, Spurgeon, if you read Spurgeon's writings, you, you'll see he'll take the most intricate things of nature and speak on them. Why? Because they fascinated him. And um, the evaluations of the world systems, they're all the same. You know, people say to me, you should never speak about politics. Heck, politics is part of life, isn't it? It's opinions. Anything that's getting into your mind needs speaking about. Because if you're going to love God with your mind and you, all your mind, you better know how to love God in the political arena as well as how to love God in the social arena, how to love God in the Christian arena. You know, God comes into everything. He doesn't kind of hop out of certain situations. I have a responsibility. I want to tell you, I'm a pro-life individual. I don't believe in abortion on demand. I don't believe in the things that have come into our society. I'm not in favor of legalizing drugs. I'm not in favor. But those are affecting our Christian walk. They're affecting our society. And we should be standing up for what's right. We shouldn't just opt out. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not in the world. I'm, not, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I have an opinion, and I'm going to voice it. Strongly. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. You know, to summarize what I've said, I just want to summarize it very briefly so you'll get the point. To develop your mind, you need to set your minds upon Christ. You need to study the contents of God's Word. You need to live in conformity with Christ, not the world. You need to seek first the kingdom of God. And you need to be interested in all of God's creation. In developing our minds, each of us must not only be contenders for the faith, but also serve as a model of a way a Christian should be. In other words, you've got to live it, not just talk it. You've got to be an example. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together as the manner of some is. Some people, they take church so lightly, it's not priority in their lives. Something's wrong. Some people don't study the scriptures. Something's wrong. People are different. If you're going to love God with all your mind, 
you need to give yourself to study. You're never too old, and you're never intellectually unable. Someone said to me last night, they said, I have a difficulty studying. My advice to you is get the simplest books, read them, and then get more complicated books and read them. Develop your mind, develop your thinking. Think God's way, get Christian books. Start with what the Bible's all about. There's a copy of it in the bookshop. Get hold of that if it's simple. But start studying. Set yourself goals. As I said last night, they're achievable goals. If you haven't got a degree, now's the time to start. If you've got a degree, now's the time to go on. But it's in the things of God I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the Word of God. I'm not talking about uh, just going out and benefiting yourself. I'm talking about glorifying God. Is that plain? Hello? You know, I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. I believe in the power of God. I believe in prophecy. I believe in all these things. But if in the end we can't love God with all our mind, and if in the end we can't put God first in our thinking, something's gone wrong with our Christian life and walk. If we can't be examples to the Word of God and we can't speak and argue and reason for the Word of God and the hope that's in us, something's gone awfully wrong with our Christian life. If we aren't knowledgeable in the basic doctrines of Christ and if we can't explain the reason for the hope that's in us, something has gone awfully wrong with our Christian life. Our priorities have gone wrong. I want to live for him. And to live for him, I want to be wise and know everything I need to know. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to live as God wants me to live. That is the truth. And I find so many people are glib and really have no respect for the word of God, the kingdom of God. No respect for the things of God. Religious, yes. Christian, no. Whatsoever things are pure, just, good report. Think on those things. Bring your heart and life into conformity with Christ. I want to love God with all my with all my, and with all my mind. Three things. I, I very rarely, I don't think in my life, I've ever heard anyone preach a sermon on it. Loving God with your mind. I don't think I've ever really heard anyone expressing what I think is so important. One of the things that happened to me when I was first born again was a fascination with the things of God. I'll tell you what I did. I went into old bookshops and I bought the old Puritan books, the old Quaker books, the old Methodist books. I found the books of the men of God through history. And I began to devour what they taught and what they said. Do you notice how our society wants to blot our history out? 
they want to tell everyone the Second World War didn't really happen. I want everyone to know. Our kids need to know. History, we have a history. Hey, do you realize we sent more missionaries across the world than any other nation? Some of them, admittedly, we drove out with persecution, but we sent more missionaries around the world. Do you know we were the center of Christian learning of the Western world? We harbored more refugees from the Huguenots, from the, uh, France, from Germany, from Spain. We saved the Christians. They came here, they fled here, and we gave them harbor as Protestants. And that was what built our industries, it built our nation. I don't ever want to forget our history. I, I think it's wonderful how God preserved our nation time after time. We were a very small nation. We became a very big influence in the world. But what was it about Britain? I'll tell you what it was. There was a Christian ethos, Christian values, and Christian laws. That was the only thing. It was God who raised up a voice, and Christian missionaries bought education, bought reading. Hey, we've got a great history. Don't despise it. Thank God for what we did do. Oh, yeah, we made mistakes, but we did more right than we did wrong. And we should be proud of it. But it was because the people had set their hearts on God. And make no mistake about it, that was the only reason God lifted the nation. And righteousness exalts the nation. And so we need to be aware of that. Okay. We fought slavery. Why? Because it was Christians in the government that hated slavery. We've got a good history. We've got mistakes, but we've got a good history. I look at it and I thank God. And I'm sad that so few people know our history. And the more it goes on, the less people will know. But we, as Christians, need to remind people. Remind them of the men that God raised up through history, the men of God. Get your heart and your mind filled with those things. When my kids were young, one of the things they used to do, they'd come into my office and they'd look through and I'd give them books on different missionaries. And they'd come and they'd take the books and they'd read them. I'm talking about when they were seven and eight years old, I'd give them books, and nine years old, and they'd go and read them. The story of the Marichal, the story of this, the story of that. Why? Because I wanted them to know what God did. I wanted to encourage them to learn the history of the church of Jesus Christ. Important to know. Important to know because you've got to love God with your mind. God has done some good things in the earth. He's raised up men who've been invaluable. Don't ever despise the history of what God has done.
I know there's been evil men too, but there's been many whom God's hand has been upon. Read about them, learn about them. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let's all stand. Lift your hands to heaven. Father, I just pray for each one. Lord, I know your healing power is in your word. And Lord, I pray that you'll reach the minds and the hearts of those that need you. Speak a word of life and let them know the reality of your life, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.